Does anyone really imagine some guys coming into Putin's office going, sir, sir, you're not going to believe it. They've closed down Gambit and Virtus Pro from competing in the blast. But he's not going to, he'd clap him out the fucking room. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Side Select. Bunch of compy men talking about esports. We've got some uh, pretty interesting topics today. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world and uh, rippling into esports as it is. We're going to be talking a little bit about it and uh, breaking some of that down. My name is Swagshop. I'll be your host for today. And I'm joined by the lovely Thorin and Rich. Normally, to introduce you guys, I ask you about your foods. I don't really remember what I even asked you last time. Um, but I've, I've, I, I'm, I'm actually very curious now. Because one of the first things that I got to learn about both of you is that, is that Thorin, you're doing a keto diet? Question mark. I, uh, listen, if you look at me now, I'm not doing it right this second, but in theory, well, I do it more usually. Yes. I was asked, so I want to know how's how's that going for you? How's All right. Working out? I haven't done it for a while now, mate. When I went on holiday, I sort of scrapped it, but I'm, yeah, I'll be back on it soon. Yeah. I'll let you know once it's rolling again. But do you and find it? Have you found it? Is it in general working out for you? Or oh, I like really doing it. it. Yeah. Put it this way. I actually put it. People might not get this. I don't do it to lose weight. Obviously, that's how I initially discovered, like you know, this approach, etc. But actually, the reason I personally like to do the keto diet is I genuinely, in my mind, model sugar the way that like alcoholics think of alcohol. Like if I let even a little bit of sugar in my life, mm. I have a really hard time like being like moderate in how much I take in, etc. Yeah, I just find I inevitably will end up like drinking more sugar than I should having more dessert so I actually find if I sort of go cold turkey which is if people don't know sugar effectively is carbs so if you eat a low carb diet which keto is I just find it means that like I don't ever sort of like get hooked into that like addictive cycle I just I feel like once I've got past the cravings it's just easier to live my life so I, I, it makes me more productive personally but Thorin's dedication to the keto diet is like a witch magazine reading 60-year-old housewife's attitude to an Atkins diet in the 90s. It's like, you know, gave it a try for a week, but who's to say he's ever done it again? Like, well, how, come you're, how come you're not doing it anymore? What's what's the reason, or is it just one of those things? Well, like I was literally not even in the fucking same continent, like, recently, so, you know, I was away from home. Right, I can't start cooking some fucking hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. And it was Christmas, whatever. We do let you up on that one. And Rich, so you're doing intermittent fasting. How's that working out for you? So I would say that that one is actually very easy to just basically do by accident. Because yeah, when I yeah. when I was growing up, like as a kid anyway, for like the first I don't know, like a couple of years of like uh, what Americans call like middle school, uh, I basically stopped eating breakfast entirely, and it didn't really affect me whatsoever. And just out of pure coincidence, even before intermittent fasting was like a mainstream thing, I was actually just inadvertently doing it anyway. So I'd be lying if I said, oh, you know, off the back of uh, superhuman willpower, and you know, if you live your life like me, maybe. Maybe you can get clear now for me honestly it's like a, ha a habitual thing at this point anyway and yeah consequently i can say it's a, a good good thing to do for my health as well all right so thorin's diets no it's kind of a bit ephemeral at this point but yours is going strong you would say rich in general yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm winning. If the, if the forfeit was on, on diets, I'm, I'm winning. I think on this one. The forfeit is not on diets. Uh, I was just fishing for a segue to our first topic because something else that's not having a great start to the year is TSM as okay, an organisation. There you go. That was a valid segue. Well done. <laughs> there you go. All right, excellent. So, yeah, TSM not too hot. In, in in certain video games, they're doing okay. I believe their Dota team's doing all right. Was it their Rainbow Six team that's also won some pretty big tournaments recently? But we're talking about League of Legends here. They are really not doing well. We spoke about them recently, their decision to bench Shen Yi, their uh, Chinese import support. 
Uh, a bit of drama about that. Shenny wasn't too happy about the decision and all this kind of malarkey about we want to build a roster and, and like, like like we're rebuilding. We, we we're nurturing this talent bench after like one week of play. Um, it's really not working out too well. Even since then, they are dead last in the LCS. They are one and nine, I think it is. Maybe one, yeah, one and nine so far. Pretty. Uh, also, I think they're one, I think they're one and eight. That's my one and eight. Uh, okay, I don't know. It's one or eight or one no, and nine. They're one and they're not doing very well. They're really not doing very well at all. And uh, yeah, it's it's come out recently that we've we've heard from from Lena has has made some statements about the roster that she envisioned before she left TSM. Uh, it's very different to the roster that we've got today. So there's kind of like two different opinions here. Reggie has built around uh, his his Chinese academy imports and, and feeling like that had more of a, a higher ceiling really looking for that international competition whereas lena and path as well who recently left the org too uh, he wanted to build more around double lift jensen and vulcan saying that uh, they weren't allowed to do that because the price was too high and reggie's like no the price was uh, whatever okay he said she said but what i'm interested in right now is i want to hear from you two what you think the better path would have been you know obviously we know that it's not worked out so far but in theory was it worth taking a chance on these lesser known young unproven talents and to try and shoot a little bit higher or should you have just taken that double lift that jensen that vulcan you know and gone for that more solidified uh, na base i'm going to come to you first rich what's uh, what's your opinion what do you make of the situation yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is obviously one of them on a certain level has to be lying here, right? Like just by what Reggie came out in response and said like, no, 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 it costs the same amount of money. So far as there was a dispute over this, obviously behind closed doors between uh, Path and Reggie or uh, Lena, Path and Reggie, um, it doesn't really make any sense because if what he's saying is true, unless he monstrously miscalculated the cost, if they were truly the same costs to put these uh, parallel teams together, then there wouldn't have been, you know, uh, Lena coming out and saying um, that, well, TSM just don't believe in the League of Legends model anymore. So Reggie wanted to cut corners to save money. Like there, there are two completely conflicting stories here. So let, let's get that out of the way first. One of, at least one of the people involved in this is just simply not telling the truth. And it's not like a whoopsie, I slipped up here. It's on the fundamentals of how this roster was built. So enjoy digesting that one again, TSM fans. Like these people are just straight up lying to your face for fun. Um, but hey, that's what they built their org on. So consistency is something that, you know, works every now and then. Um, what I would say in terms of like, was it the correct thing to do or the, the right path to go down? I would split this into like two. You have the philosophy on what is the correct philosophy to have, and then you have the execution on the concept, right? So in terms of execution, obviously it's been a disaster. Um, obviously it's early days, but we have to assume that these pieces might not have been the best possible pieces that could have been put together and, you know, had the right staff around them or whatever. It's certainly not working thus far and doesn't look to be getting any better. Um, does that mean that Reggie's idea that he wanted to build for quote-unquote international success was wrong? Again, we have to take that statement with a pinch of salt because that's like the fucking TSM slogan at this point, isn't it? We don't just want to win LCS, we want to win Worlds. It's like that guy's literally been saying that since season three. Like, it's just outrageous at this point. In fact, it's almost become a slogan for the whole of the fucking LCS, let's be honest. I don't want to just single out TSM here for that one. But so far as we're taking him at, uh, face, val at face value... I do actually prefer the way of thinking of 
we're looking to build something for international success as a concept, then I prefer let's recycle players like Jensen and Doublelift. Again, I'm not trying to shit on those players. They're two of the greatest players who have ever played in that region. But I doubt that you can build, bearing in mind, you know, the, the limitations of imports and stuff that, you know, you can't just have five imports yet. So I, I don't think that has a particularly high international ceiling. So if they believed, or as I would actually believe, if you can get two super amazing players from the Eastern region, and that would help to give you international success in theory, I do prefer that angle for an org like TSM, just because they have won fucking everything in North America a million times over. If FlyQuest said, oh, we had the opportunities to sign Jensen and Doublelift, and we didn't because we're going for it all. I'd be like, who the fuck are you? What are you talking about? At least win your shitty region first. Like, don't tell me you're going to, you know, make worlds, but nah. Like, so yeah, I, I from a f uh, philosophy perspective, I do actually kind of side with Reggie on this one. In terms of if you wanted to be very sure of having at least a decent level of success, I'm pretty sure if you sign Doublelift, and Jensen, you are basically guaranteed to qualify as a seed for Worlds from North America. Like, I, th I think that is just uh, locked in. And again, if Reggie wanted to spend like a shitload of money and import Koreans, I'm not going to say it's as easy as, oh, let's get Faker or Chovy or whatever. But I would have liked to see something which had more sort of immediate, mm -hmm, yeah, okay, that makes sense from the players that they imported. And I, I didn't really see that. Something that sticks out to me about Reginald's statement, um, he says that the, the part about... Uh, he mentions that he did a scouting grounds before they, they built this roster across North America, Korea, and China, and they, they flew in 20 players. Um, well, that's maybe, where the, that's maybe where the costs came from, right? Like, the cost difference. Yeah, if he said, yeah, yeah roster, hiring yeah. these players costs the same amount of... <laughs> what, if you fucking fly in 20 guys from the Far East? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, what, what doesn't really ring to me is, like, this. it seems like the issues that, that the TSM have had as a roster in reality are the kind of things that happen when you just stick players together and you don't really think about how they gel or necessarily how they work and it's the kind of thing that you would hope you would recognize and notice if you're like boot camping and bringing in these players for their trials right specifically when they're talked about uh, tsm have, have mentioned that the, the shot calling was the issue and the communication was the issue like surely that's the reason why you bring these people in because uh, just to try them out you get a good idea of how they communicate how they shot call how they function and their play style so you can you can build this world jail team so that's where for me it's like what's what's the point honestly like i'm sure it's just some like you know vc's money that you're just burning and just pissing away and it's fine it's whatever but that just i don't really understand i would have thought if you're going through all that length you have a decent idea of how your players operate and function within a team environment and then we wouldn't be in a situation where, like, you know, two, two weeks in or whatever it was that they're giving up on the roster and, and trying something new. I, I, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm, a, I'm not really sure about how the one that's worked out. Um, but anyway, I'm going to come to you, Thor, and tell me about this. What do you think about, um, you know, the, the philosophies behind building this roster with TSM and, and the ideas of having perhaps more of like a, a veteran core instead? Right, we'll start with the Lena side of it, because if people don't know, she was the president of TSM and it's been messaged depending on the situation, as though she's like a key person who was involved with, like, you know, helping them determine the direction of the org, bringing people in. I will say, when I basically called her out for, in her own words, her own words would have made her guilty of this, by the way, poaching, she did try to imply she wasn't involved with bringing in any of the League of Legends players. But this is a couple of years ago, and quite frankly, I believe she was lying, based on what I've seen. Because one of the weird things is, the reason I bring that up, though, is this, because... 
Lena herself has proven to be an unreliable narrator, as in she cannot be even trusted to tell the truth about what she herself has experienced and done or other people. So unfortunately, like famously, if you don't know, she tried to imply that I lied and did fake news by saying that she'd tried to contact players without going through the org. But actually, that was just her own words on the TSM Discord. She effectively just said, like, you know, I did speak to Upset and he actually wanted to join the team or something. Some outrageous statement like that, which is like, you are aware that violate, like, every rule of, like, poaching, basically. What you should have said was, I contacted, you know, I can't remember what team he was in, maybe Schalke at the time. I contacted Schalke, you know, they gave him a position. I spoke to him. He expressed interest and then the deal didn't happen or something. So essentially, the problem is, in the past, she's had a lot of fuckery anyway. With that said... I also have to factor in that beyond just, you know, is she always telling the truth? No. By the way, spoiler, Reginald's lied tons of times publicly, also including where it's provable I know he lied. The problem is this, right? There's another reason why we have to be very sceptical about her statement here. Because she no longer is with TSM when she's making this statement, and her literal fucking live-in boyfriend is the player magically on the team she would have made that isn't now made for TSM and doesn't currently have a job. So unfortunately, she has a lot of obvious biases in this particular horse race, as it were, where we all we sort of know which way her bread's buttered. Spoiler, this is another reason I called her and double lift out for this thing two years ago. Because this is where obvious conflicts of interest cause us to have awkward conversations we shouldn't even have to have. Like I shouldn't have to actually think maybe Lena wanted a really good deal for double lift because he's her boyfriend. I should think, no, solely as the president of TSM, she believes he's the best AD carry they could get for the price that he was available, and that's why she was trying to make this deal. But unfortunately, we can't really know that, and you have to even add in conveniently with the idea she wanted to make a team with double lift it didn't happen and now she's not with tsm it also makes you wonder was she looking out for tsm or double lift like what, what was what was going on there so that already is a bit of a concern for me with that said i actually think i can probably corroborate that this is this seems like a true story because people might know from my talk shows i mentioned last year this was also the story of the 2020 off season I heard that TSM basically had the opportunity at that time to sign. Jensen would have come in instead of Bjergsen. Doublelift would have played again. And they basically could have had that team, but it would have been the same team as they had in the end, but with Sword Art and Hooney and Doublelift and Jensen, right? And for whatever reason, I don't know, it was implied to me it was a mixture of Reginald and Bjergsen didn't want the Jensen lineup for whatever. So anyway, they could have done this in the past. It sounds like they could have done this in the last season as well, and they chose not to. I will say as well, if anyone's keeping track, that Doublelift seems like a lot of a fucking liar, doesn't he? Bizarrely, Every time he doesn't get signed, he always comes out about how he didn't want to play and didn't do this and wasn't definitely wasn't cocked by TSM. But then when it suits him, when his girlfriend, former president, leaves the org and disses them all, suddenly he did want to be in TSM. And actually, they did sort of fuck him over and they did like wreck him at the last minute. So again, these are people, everyone in this story cannot be relied upon to actually just tell the honest truth. They're always going to tell a version of the truth that suits them. And probably if you know these people, they're not the smartest people in the room. They probably have just told themselves a story of what that happened and eventually i'm sure they believe their own lies so with that said it does seem plausible to me that they could have had this team i think this team look obviously it's pretty easy to say now that they're one in it but i think even back then i personally in a pure abstract sense would have favored the double lift line because as rich says like 
Beyond the beginning of LCS when CLG was a bit whack. Doublelift and Jensen just go to Worlds every single year. I mean, the joke is they pretty much average, like, fucking, like, not only a Worlds placing every year, but I'm sure between the two of them, they probably average one title a fucking year. Like, they're out outrageous how much success these guys have had. So, again, if you wanted to just, you know, be what TSM used to be, a contender, maybe win LCS and have a chance to go to Worlds in MSI, the Doublelift Jensen's a slam dunk. You do that, you instantly have it all. And, by the way, you would have so many fans instantly back on your side as TSM I think it would be sick it's why I said on past episodes I even think they completely missed a trick with the Jensen one because as soon as I know Bjergsen's leaving I have to sign Jensen that's the only way I sort of make a storyline that's cool and seem like in any way I didn't get cocked like remember you could make an argument it'd be glorious to see TSM fans making this that Jensen's better than Bjergsen can't you so you couldn't even go with that angle but obviously they let that one go because the problem is this Rich I thought did a very good job by identifying the distinction between the premise of trying to scout like you know the next talents that could be a world winner and actually who they did sign because the problem there is this fox drop if we're talking about the premise of like if you said to me you can either have doublelift and jensen or you could have not the two good players they got but like the next really great player from china for example like like for real i've actually scouted like ls probably claims he did for berserker i've really scouted like the next like uzi eye basically you know in his case i'm sure you'd say like death or gumi or something i've got the next uzi eye and you know what mid lane you know let's not say he's like the best like in the whole he's not faker but you know what? i've got like you know like a humanoid level mid laner as well he's like a korean guy a chinese rather and you never heard of him if that was true so it's effectively by the way what g2 claimed they claimed they could have signed hansama or viper or something but Instead, they chose to sign Flacht and Targamas because they really believed, like, this is the gamble, yeah, but it's worth the gamble. Like, we're going to be proven that we were right. Our eye test is going to be bad. I don't, that's the part I don't buy. Because if that part's true, whoever's eye test signed off on this side of the deal that this was what they were presenting it as like two unknown but potentially super duper talents they were just wrong categorically and even worse as as you actually talked about it doesn't look at all like they thought actually fox Rob, about how will these players fit in with the rest of the team and you notice everybody video and interview tsm does they all revert to like oh and of course communication is a problem it's like you're the ones who signed people who only speak chinese and then there's only one guy in the team apparently speaks like english and chinese totally fluently like you made like you made your bed for yourself on that one like no one made you make that team and spoiler, there's plenty of teams in like LPL that will have those Chinese and Korean mixes, you know. And the point is, they know going in, you're going to have problems with comms. You just, they have to be such good players. Like, they have to be like some Tarzan level motherfucker. That's just so good. You're going to get, you're going to win anyway. So I think it was a very naively set up team overall from TSM. Like Rich says, they have genuinely been saying from pretty much when they switched from a pure NA lineup that they were going to try and win Worlds, not just win LCS the whole time. If people don't remember, it was at the end of season six, Remember, that was half of League of Legends ago. We're in season 12 now. At the end of season six was the time they had P um, Weldon Green and they claimed that they like over-practiced, if you remember, for that Worlds and that that's what burned them out. All right? That was six years ago, guys! Like, they've been saying every year this, they've been selling you a false bill of goods that they're trying to win Worlds when the joke is they don't even win LCS anymore. Like, that, if they just kept winning LCS every time, I'd sort of buy the narrative. So to me, I think this is, TSM has sadly become just marketing it's just the idea of like here's what we say we're doing and we are a big auditor they don't have the players they don't have star power there's not really a reason to watch the game right now and then even worse the ownership group does just seem really out of touch with where league of legends as a game is because i always used to point out if people don't know tsm famously used to say they didn't want like korean imports because they used to believe that you know it would just cause comms problems they might miss up by that well the joke is now the last few years first of all they're not even actually importing like the true korean import you'd hire they're just
just getting these weird inputs from the LPL. Like, you would think after the Sword Art debacle, they'd sort of learn their lesson and go, like, that maybe wasn't the approach. But So I don't know where TSM's at. I think they've just done a terrible job across the board. I could certainly believe that this lineup was possible with Jensen Dublin. I would have taken it, even at the moment. I'd take it right now. I sort of, like I say, I agree with Rich, like... In theory, there is a world where you go an LS-type approach, and maybe that is, like, long-term better. I just don't think it's what TSM was doing. I think it's interesting uh, what you said near the end there about how TSM is essentially marketing at this point. Because my personal opinion is you go with Jensen and double lift. Firstly, it's it's somewhat safety. But secondly, it's like, dude, you got Jensen and double lift. Like, they're two huge names that you yeah, just stick in your team. That, yeah. Exactly. And, and Bjergsen's left. Who do you replace him with? Jensen, his long, long-standing long rival. Perfect. Yes, like... Yeah. It just makes so much sense. Like you don't even necessarily need success at that point. I don't. Maybe I'm cynical. Maybe I'm cynical. Like if I if I had a uh, a brand in the LCS, I you know I'm just playing for for for, for branding for you know just I'm not necessarily looking at inter everything else comes first before you yeah. start thinking about international success. You know, and it's like I don't know. Oh, by I the just... way. I've got one other point I forgot to make because this will hurt yeah. people's feelings, so I better get this one in. All yeah. I'll say is this. I'm so sick and tired of hearing this story because I've heard this story a million times. and It goes like this. Oh, but this guy that I got as an import, he actually, everyone was telling me in like Korea or China, insert whichever country, Korea or China, this guy's like the next fake. He's so sick and you, you won't believe it, but they all helped me out and got the deal done and everything. It's like, you dumb motherfucker. Like the most famous one ever, people who are old school will know this reference. There was a player who played on the Korean solo Lad, he was called Nara Kyle, and he was like an infamous, like one trick, I think, like mid lane Jace or something. He was like, he was very famous for one champion, right? And he basically was amazing at this one champion. And the joke was every year, which Western org might get tricked into signing this guy this year? Because what would happen was there would be a couple of people in Korea for every player who work as like the agent, and they're just like the slimiest used car salesman of all time. They just sell you like a used car salesman, you know, ah, one careful order. It was an old woman, she only went to the shops. They do that. So, what they do is they overhype all these players like a mother because spoiler they get a commission they're like an agent effectively they get money for doing it and so unfortunately if you're a western org you can get tricked into this a lot like you essentially get told like oh you want listen there's no one else in this scenario i've got the next faker and i know and he's willing to join your team now but don't don't tell him shh, shh, shh. but you need to pay a three hundred thousand dollar buyout right now and if you do it it'll join like dude there are a million of those stories so unfortunately i think reggie essentially just got sort of taken in almost like a conference scam here because basically my experience has been you need to like independently verify through people who've like seen them play and have like played on teams with them and they're, if they're good or not like you can't go unfortunately on these like stories and also i'll add in one last thing there's even a way in which you will get sort of fucked over like that where it's not intentional it I'll, or rather, they're not malicious when they do it. Where essentially, especially in the Asian region, I've found they will also like sort of slightly overhype talents that they know might go to like Europe or America because they think to themselves, like, it's his chance to like go and have like an amazing life in America. Or so. so they just sort of like, they're just sort of like, let's say they're overly optimistic with how good the guy would be, but maybe actually it's not a very good sale for you, the person who's just trying to sign like a raw good play. You know, they think they're, well, it'd be mean to sort of say that he wasn't as good in that track. So sometimes the references I find are a bit scoffed. So that whole thing's like a, a suit. That's why I get an import, in my opinion. It's why I actually, at least I understood Cloud9's approach. You want a guy who's sort of native to the region and has all those insane contacts. And the idea is, like, if people don't know, LS doesn't have to be like the rest of us and go, oh, I heard this guy was on this team. He can, uh, 
not only a go against and talk to people who scrimmed him, but he can also ask other people who like play him on the ladder every day or something. You know, he's got like extra ways he can verify these people are good. Because, like I say, if I'm TSM, look, he can definitely miss with decision making. But with, if I were them, I'd be going to their GM and saying like, "You better have an amazing reason as to why this team failed." Because why did we do this? Mm. Yeah. By the way, sorry. One last thing I would add, and this is kind of stealing an opinion that uh, someone tweeted at me um, under a tweet about this, which I actually kind of agree with. I'm kind of untrusting on Reggie's side of the story. Again, it's like pick your fucking poison, like who is the greatest evil situation. But on this, I do kind of think that uh, I'm sort of siding more with Lena in terms of the accuracy of the storytelling here, because uh, as this guy pointed out. First of all, if you're going for this like huge international ceiling thing, why the fuck do you sign tactical? Like, how does that make any sense True. at all in terms of like intent? Hooney, you can like do mental gymnastics at least to kind of claim like, well, you know, you have to compromise somewhere, and if he does land on you know heads, it lands on heads, then he will be dominant in his like. You can make some really shitty, but semi-coherent argument for him at least but the tactical one you just can't at all and what i think it actually might have been is more of a sort of cynical min-maxing uh, situation from reggie where he's actually just basically rolling a 12-sided dice on these imports and if it does land on that one side he needs to then holy shit he's a genius amazing maybe you do actually have some uh you know international prowess power in at least a couple of positions that you build on and if you don't well you kind of have some some kind of uh, disconnect right you have a bit of dissonance between well yeah he had to move environment blah 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 because we imported there were no guarantees so he can actually spend fuck all remember these salaries aren't public we're just going by by his word and he also said as foxtrot pointed out he flew fucking 20 other players in so we have no idea how the money was distributed in these deals what the you thing don't was believe on. the part where he says like it will cost the same though for the roster right? no exactly that's what i mean like there's a from his own story he must have spent thousands flying people in and trialing them and i think it's very possible that actually he's not paying these players for what it would normally cost you know a lot of money to bring in an eastern player for and he's heard a few things about, yeah, really promising, could be this, but isn't this yet kind of thing. And he's just brought them in. Again, purely speculative. I'm not claiming I've heard that from anyone. But I do think it's a point worth making, especially because if you do look at the play, the resident players he plugged in, it doesn't exactly, exactly inspire you to think, wow, international success. I do wonder whether he kind of ran out of options with Tad's call, though, as well. This is the thing is like... A lot of roster moves seems like a bit of musical chairs, you know, like you have this built in and then you're like, okay, this is our, our lineup in theory, but then one piece falls out and then the whole thing falls out and then you've kind of just got to scramble together and stuff like that. And, and maybe that's kind of what happened with Tad's calls, plus he's resident as well. So. But he could caveat, obviously, without calling out the player directly, right? He could caveat that after the fact and say... At the start of the off-season, this was the plan. We wanted to work with young talent. Obviously, things don't always work out exactly how you want. There also are certain criteria you have to meet with residents and so on. Like, he doesn't even need to call anyone out or make them feel like shit. Mm. He can be perfectly vague while still getting across a much more specifically accurate point than he did. So, yeah, I agree with you completely, Fox. But at the same time, I, I think that he was not wholly honest, let's say. Yeah, well, either way, one and eight as they are right now, it's not looking too hot. And I still just don't understand the whole Shen Yi benching thing. Like, there's so much stuff that happens behind the scenes and whatnot, but it's just like, if your plan is, like, in, in, in Reggie's statement, he says that they're, they're, they're looking at a three year thing, not just this one year, not this, just this split over this huge period of time, they're looking to build a solid roster. Dude, two weeks? <laughs> really? Yeah, by the way, mate, I'm calling fucking bullshit on that as well. It, I, I don't even think in one year from now, like, 
the same five-man lineup even exists on TSM. I would imagine that, like, you know, they've massively chopped and changed at the end of this year. Because, yeah, that's like a good angle. Listen, if they really do it, by the way, if they really keep this light for three years, win or lose, like, fair play, at least you commit to the idea. But that sounds, again, like, oh, just give us time. Just give us yeah. time. That sounds like a bullshit excuse, doesn't it? Uh, who in esports commits <laughs> that, that far ahead no anyway? One. No one Legit, does, like, not, nothing, even from a business side, let alone, like, roster decisions. Like, nothing is just, that, like, it's ridiculous. Like, I, you know, if this is... Even if this is a traditional sport where you've had like, you know, these franchise teams and leagues and stuff, which have been around for like a hundred years or whatever, like you still wouldn't, it's building three years in the future. Even, even that's like, that sounds a little bit like, oh, just give us time. Even, even that you get a bit skeptical for. And this is where you've got a huge markets with these massive like foundations laid down where you know that in three years time, things are going to be the way they, you know, it's just going to be how it is like it's been in the last the previous three years and three years before that and the three years before that going back 100 years like i don't i mean it just seems crazy when i think about that like the whole infrastructure just doesn't seem to suit that long of a plan really it just it just doesn't seem to be esports maybe i'm naive but either way i want to move on now we've been talking about that for a little while let's move on to some csgo stuff because we did see phase clan take down g2 uh in im katowice which was very entertaining very close finals i saw a lot of g2 fans uh tweeting in dismay about the way that stuff went down um and yeah it, it, not just me was who was entertained either because apparently it's it's broken viewership records as well phase had a stand in as well jks who i believe is the first australian player to win a major or not major win, but a massive tournament yeah sure yeah, yeah um and i'm just that's a great story in and of itself but of course the big story uh, i think the biggest one at least uh, one i want to discuss here today uh, is carrigan you know that the, the igl playing in phase clan some some do is it time we finally put respect on carrigan's name basically as the go igl in csgo uh thorin coming to you for this one is carrigan the igl goat Right, the problem is I'm one of the people who has tried to craft a case that he's at least in contention for it. Like, Prince, I think he's a contender. Like, if you make a short list of people who could be it, he's top three, probably at a minimum. Maybe even top two. Most people would say it's him and Glaive from Astralis. The problem is this. Almost everyone I know in sports and esports, when they evaluate, like, rankings, even though we're talking about team games, they do count, like, accomplishments. And the problem is when you have Glaive have four majors, which is the most in history, and Carrigan has zero, to a normal fan, there's no discussion like they like right right can't even have the discussion so really what you have to be able to do to answer this question is you have to evaluate relative to the players you had and the area you went all those like context things so what i would say is this like if i had a gun to my head i probably would pick glaive but i think the really cool thing about carrigan's case to be this is if people don't know it's like the difference between I've, i'm the only kid with this analogy but it's a pretty apt one i think it's a difference in football managers between alex ferguson and jose Mourinho because the premise goes like this Alex Ferguson won everything but he stayed in one place he built one team up and he never left now listen there are things that are hard about that like you built one team up you had to rebuild it there are things that are easier when you've got a working team you stick with it you have, you have the budget you bring in one or two players so there's ways in which that's hard and difficult right or easy at times 
So, but on the Jose Mourinho side, he went to all the different leagues in the world and found success and won massive championships and all this. So on the other hand, what he's doing is he's going to work with totally different talents and totally different squads and different metas. So basically, it's like that with Glaive and Carrigan. Glaive stayed in one spot, built up the Astralis team and won everything for a bunch of years. Carrigan has gone from totally different styles of teams all around. And in fact, even in this particular case, he's working with a totally international team. Not a single player in FaZe Clan speaks their native language. They all just speak English because, spoiler, they can all speak English like they're all from countries that would be reasonable for that to be the case whereas if you think about it when Glaive wins a major everyone's speaking Danish they're all Danish so I would say what's cool about Carrigan is they don't in fact directly one-to-one -one compare it's more like they're trying to complete a different type of game like I say in the same way as the Jose Mourinho likes for instance it's such a different set of circumstances ultimately at the end it comes back to what do you favour again so I would say Carrigan certainly has some strengths and accomplishments like this by the way very much actually put you even in the accomplishment category where you can have these discussions because here's the thing in the same way as when he hadn't won a major he still hasn't won one yet you can say well Glaive won the major and he didn't yeah but the difference is we don't know if Glaive could go and take a guy from Australia a guy from Estonia a guy from you know what we don't know if he could go and do that because spoiler no one's ever done that in the history of CSGO like and normally you only make these international teams usually at a lower level when it's actually like you know you can't find five people from one country that are really good you know it's worth like gambling on in the case of someone like Nico there's a random kid from Bosnia that's just better than whoever's from Denmark so fuck it let's make national team so the idea essentially Carrigan's trying to compete with the best ever but doing it sort of like the hardest route in a way I think that's very commendable and I think a result like this is so unique again if you want to go a different route so what you have to essentially say is I'm not going off pure like trophy cabinet here but you want to go like the how you did it in your own style I think this is a case of where like this is like if you win with your fucking hometown team or something mate. like you had to go on hard mode to win this one so in a way it counts more when you win some of these for my money so is that with Glaive achieving what he's achieved, but all in like the same place and then Carrigan not having achieved as much, but, you know, just being scattered around the shop. If you were to create a new team and, you know, you have peak Glaive, peak Carrigan, who are you picking as your ideal? There you go. That's what's interesting, because in that scenario, Foxham, I actually would take Carrigan, because there's the other interesting thing about Carrigan. I've seen him work with so many different talents from different countries. I essentially almost know he would get a team to a certain level. The problem with the Glaive example is he also, no joke, had almost the greatest players at his other positions. Now, true, in part because they all collectively won so much that it makes you get that status. But you look at some of the pieces that uh, Glaive had, he had some of the greatest players of all time. So, yeah, I would say that's what makes them different is like here's the difference if you show me the lineup maybe i'd pick glaive if it was the right sort of team the difference is if i had to pick someone who essentially essentially if it's like a drafted league and i'm blind picking my igl yeah i might pick carrigan for that maybe i would so rich what do you think about it is carrigan uh you know is he is he become the goat for you especially after this recent achievement or are you in a similar vein to, to thorin I can almost hear the Brazilians screeching that Thorin didn't mention their beloved Fallen, who apparently gets chucked in this conversation all the time, which makes no sense to me why. at all. I know. <laughs> at one point in time, he was a really good orper. Let's just extrapolate that because he also had some of the shot-calling responsibilities. He's just the de facto in-game leader, even though none of these people have ever been able to create a tangible example based on gameplay as what he was actually doing, which made him such a good in-game leader other than shooting people with an orb. Um, but yeah, so I, actually, on going sort of off of that uh, base, I'm actually going to go in a completely different direction with this. And I'm not going to lie, I haven't like fully thought this through to the point of like Fox's point where he says, if you have to build a team around one of these guys, will it be? Because I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be this guy. But 
in a way, I I'm going to answer this question in the purest possible way, which is who is the best player at in-game leading? Rather than who is the best player who was also an in-game leader or whatever. Who is this fucking I'm going to say, <laughs> Foxtrot, let me just pause a sec. Let me ask you a question, Foxtrot. Do you even understand what the difference between those two guys? I'm a little bit lost myself. Really? I'm not sure entirely I know what his distinction was. What is the distinction? Set it up for so, a so, like so essentially... That's not like you just tried to like rule warriors <laughs> us in somewhere like you're not going to break me. You know? Wait, wait, wait! I've got it. I've got it. Okay, so if yeah. CS:GO, if EA releases yeah. a CS:GO game, yeah, who has the highest IGL stat? Not necessarily. Like, yes, the best player yes, exactly, right. exactly right. that, right. exactly that. The right. but best pure guy at in-game right. leading, not the best Fair player enough. who is an in-game leader. And by the, and what my metric kind of is for that is who have I seen? have the biggest impact, in my opinion, on, by the way, the team has to be minimum, at least somewhat successful for this to, right, to yes, work. Right, yes, of course. And yes. who, who have I seen have the biggest impact or the biggest sort of trademark, like I can watch this game without the nameplates on and be like, I think this guy's in-game leading that team. And I'm going to go with existence. And the reason I'm going to go with existence is because I actually think for huge chunks of this guy's career, he was actually a bad tier one player. I don't actually think, as an individual, he was good at Counter-Strike. Obviously, he was in the stratosphere of Counter-Strike. But as, as a T, Tier 1 player, I, do, I think there were huge chunks of time where this guy was just not good at the game or not, he would not be where he was on merit of his individual gameplay. But because of, you know, theoretically him anchoring in that sense, he wasn't dragging his teams down at all. And they had a very unique style, which was his style for how they were winning the games and the tournaments that they were winning so again he obviously didn't have the major success and he was not uh at the top for as long as you know people probably mention guys like pronax as well and try and throw them in the conversation and yeah in terms of accolades he's not up there but i think there's never been someone who has added more to their teammates as an in-game leader than existence and also you have to keep in mind that because obviously he's from the french scene the french in counter-strike are kind of famous for not sort of being more wild in server if that makes sense like doing funky things with uh, making economy decisions when they shouldn't be and all these kinds of things and i do feel like these players are a bit harder to rein in generally than many of the scandinavian greats um or you know the cis region so i give him props for that as well again i haven't really like fully thought this through to the point where i'm like yep that guy is definitely my de facto goat but i think it's an interesting angle to come from as foxdrop said who would you actually give the highest game in-game leader stat like if existence was in a counter-strike you know football manager game an 85 you want the highest player sure. rated overall how the fuck does he get that rating of being 85 you can't give him less than that because of what he has achieved so where is it well it's all top heavy as shit in his in-game leading ability and i think he might have the highest out of all so outside of in-game leaders we we you know we're seeing seeing phase room with their standing with jks like he he's a stand-in right like they're not he's not part of the main roster do you think he should be part of the main roster do you think phase should keep him or do you think they you know it's, it's best for him to move on I'll start with you on that one, Rich, just real quick. Uh, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, obviously Rain couldn't compete in the arena stage, so JKS like came in. So Rain is FaZe's player. JKS, as far as I know as of this moment, is not at all. He is not assigned to any team. Um, I would say I would say probably avoid the temptation of being prisoner in the mo of the moment i think there were a lot of external factors around this tournament um with obviously you know how particularly we can assume navi were probably pretty negatively affected by wheel uh, uh world events going on at the time and so on i'm not 
I, I wouldn't ask, I would nowhere near go as far as to asterisk their win or something like that heavily, but there is context, and I'm not sure I can say they wouldn't have done the same with Rain or not. So I, I think it's easy to be knee jerk here. What you might do is, you know, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> It's hard because you have to take in the, the human element into account as well, right? Like, it'll be easy for me to say, you know, maybe they should do some more games and scrims and stuff with him and see if they prefer him or not. But you've got this poor fucker Rain who's sitting on the sidelines saying, what did I do wrong? I haven't done anything wrong. And like, all of a sudden, they're thinking about replacing me. So I'm not sure about that. Um, I think it's a really difficult situation. I wouldn't be like, wow, what are these lunatics doing? If obviously they just, off the back of the success of this, they did decide to sign him or something. But... Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird situation, but I think I'm inclined to say no. I think Rain is a good enough player that um, they should be able to replicate this kind of level at future tournaments with Rain instead of JKS. So yeah, I think this was a little bit of an enigma situation. So I, I, I it's it's difficult. Like I wouldn't again, as I said, I wouldn't go apoplectic if they did it. Although I would feel that Rain had been kind of done dirty, like a little bit. But I, I would side with no. I think yeah. What about you, Thorin? Would you keep JKS or would you sit with Rain? The problem is, like, I actually technically don't even know what JKS would look like in FaZe Clan because there's two reasons. One, he actually ended up replacing two different players. He was initially replacing Rops, who had the positive test before the event, and then he replaced Rain right at, like, the semi-finals, basically. So as a result, not only was he essentially replacing two different people, but if you look at some of the interviews, one of the reasons it seems to me why he was, like, pretty quickly got comfortable is, A, he not only had Carrigan and Zygiel, who's famous for getting people sort of figured out quickly, but it sounds like they actually took what I think is the very pragmatic approach to having a stand-in, which is you go to the stand-in and you say, look, what do you actually do well in the game? And let's just set you up to be as comfy as you can be. And then the idea is it's us, the mainstays, that'll sort of switch up and, you know, maybe Rops will play a different spot CT side or this guy will follow up in a way he doesn't. So the problem with that is if you actually made the real phase clan with JKS, I imagine you don't do that. You do it more like a normal team where it's sort of like, right, here's the structure, how I'm going to do it. And then you would maybe fit this role. So that part, look, it could certainly work work but then the other part i would say is i actually don't know what the knock-on effect would be on the other players as a result because essentially in that scenario if you would think this guy is only standing in as an emergency stand-in once and you're never going to play with him again yeah i might give up a spot on ct side because the idea is like if we play normally we'll probably lose the game anyway so fuck it for this one we'll sort of just be like a high level mixed team basically we'll just hope we win the game the problem is like like i say when you make a real team you, you're not going to you're going to be a lot more cynical than that you're going to be like right rob so you get your spot 100 of the star but you do that so I, there was one problem is I can't just go off what I saw in Kanavice, but what I did see in Kanavice, I I think it's personally like a a 50-50 call. I don't mind either side to it. I don't mind sticking with Rain because I will say this. I do think Rain has always been one of the most sacrificial players in the team and anytime it's necessary, he does what it's what you need him to do. But the thing is, I did think from some of the games, some of this is recency bias, some of the games I did feel like sometimes JKS added a little extra gear that they didn't have otherwise and a little bit of sort of danger to the round for the opponents. But the other thing is as well, that's who I think, you know, I think should. I actually think realistically, I don't think there's a very high chance that he will be signed to the team because Rain basically is the ultimate player's player where because people know behind the scenes he can play many different roles, he's always willing to sacrifice to help other people. He's been in the team the whole time because of this mentality. He has a really good work ethic, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, he also is one of those players where I don't think any of the established players, like Carrigan obviously has been in phase in the past many years. I don't think these players would cut him, put it out way. I think like emotionally and in terms 
terms of how they see him in their mind. Like, I think they just trust him too much. So I don't think it will happen. I wouldn't mind it, though. I wouldn't hate it as a move, especially because I also would love to see what would Carrigan do with JKS if he had him long-term, because, again, he's another player where I know the complexity period made people sort of, like, write him off and they don't care about him anymore. I've always thought he's a pretty good player. It's just that he has to be... He's a player who needs comfort. He has to be put in his roles and given the proper structure. You can't just bring him in and say, do X, Y, and Z. And I don't think he'll, he'll thrive in that setup. I wonder what they did with the prize money. I know it's like sort of fairly unimportant in the grand scheme of things, but that is kind of weird because, yeah, he came in for Rops for one game. Obviously, they're not going to replace fucking Rops. He came in for Rain for the semi-final and the final. I, that, I wonder how they do divvy that up. Maybe they just go as like, look, we're not judging because you have the salad and you're the bullet. We're all paying the same and they just equal cut it. Obviously, that would be... I think the smart I imagine that's probably a move if yeah. you know the way that just to make people's egos not get big and have an argument. Yeah, you probably just share it six ways, unfortunately. Yeah. Final point on the rain situation as well. He's been in phase since 2016, um, which is a long time. So if he was to get replaced, I feel like maybe that's something that 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 keeps him on the roster. Isn't yeah, he the only? The isn't he the only original player from when they did the the yes, big mix line? The very beginning. Yeah. The, the, the first team was in 2015, and it was the one where he was with like McAleely and those guys. Yeah. yeah, he's been he's essentially been in some iteration of this call the entire time. Yeah. All right, let's move along from. Uh, well, we're still staying sort of with, with Counter Strike here. I, I want to know more about. Uh, the most dominant team that you're expecting in 2022. That was, uh, I am was that was our first, not major, but non-major, our first big tournament, our first big land. And we, we, we saw how that one went down. What do you think is going to be the most dominant team of 2022? Obviously, there might be an asterisk here because of something we'll discuss a bit later on with current world events. But uh, in general, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Who are you seeing as being the big name for this year? I'll come to you first on this one, Rich. Uh... So to me, I think this is the. I think this year is super open. I think there are so many teams that, first of all, are like at a very good like championship contending level, and then I think there are a couple of teams who aren't there yet but have potentially have that ceiling, like a Vitality, for example, who I don't think are ready to win the next major yet, unless I see something in you know the next uh, few tournaments they play or something, but. I think there are a whole bunch of teams who could win majors. I actually think it's possible that you could have a different major winner for all of the upcoming majors for this year. So I'll say that first. In terms of like who I expect to be, let's just say, like the top of most people's rankings by the end of the season, if that's like a way to put it. Um, I, get, I guess I'd go with the, the safe answer. I'd, I'd still say Na'Vi. Like, again, as you say, you have to asterisk it and say, you know, if things escalate, get really bad, if people have to make decisions based around home life or whatever, obviously that pick goes completely out of the window. Um, I do, as I sort of alluded to before, give them a mini pass for them not, you know, w winning IEM basically because of what happened and because it was so recent that I do think, I mean, some people are, you know, making comments about, simples play for example just from a pure mechanical standpoint and be like he doesn't look right like he just simply doesn't look right um but yeah assuming that at some point there's uh and we return to somewhat uh normality i would have to say uh navi but i think the best thing about counter-strike this year as i said is there's a huge chasing pack and i think any teams from i mean put it this way if you just look at the teams obviously we've seen phase now um, I think Virtus Pro can still be perennial contenders. Gambit, again, you know, subject to uh, certain bits of legislation. Um, Vitality, if they find sort of the right 
groove or you know get their shit together they could definitely do something and then you have some teams who aren't necessarily like contenders for the top honors now but teams that could depending on how they do sort of their mini rebuilds like a fanatic or whatever that can be perpetual spoilers at these tournaments so yeah i i think uh, I'd have to go with Na'Vi in terms of sort of answering the question. But as I said, I think it's sufficiently close at the top that you're not going to see like a peak level Fnatic era or NIP era or Astralis era uh, kind of year. I don't think Na'Vi are going to sweep the majors. I think if I actually had to guess, I think that there'll be uh, multiple different winners, maybe all unique winners. Well, all unique winners, that would be, well, unique. <laughs> Sorry, and what are your thoughts? Who's, uh, who's the big name for 2022 in CSGO? I would still say Na'Vi, even though, like, look, I mean, technically it's actually fine to pick them now because obviously they just lost and they didn't win the big tournament. So in some ways we're actually almost being sort of novel by picking them because some people might just be out on them. A lot of people use recency bias. Like, as long as, obviously, as you've sort of shaded, as long as they're not somehow banned from competing or there's not some issue with the players going which by the way as far as I know they're all going to have an issue but again who knows if Russian players will be able to leave the country at all times in the future so assuming all that's fine and you can just attend tournaments as we've had now the key thing for me with Na'Vi is this I still think like I don't mind the angle where some people think Nico's the best player in the world right now like numbers wise and in terms of pure eye test you can make that discussion but in terms of who the actual overall best player like if I had to pick a player for the rest of the year I'd still take simple I think it's still the easiest player to pick to be the best player of the year He's because the, the, the key thing is this he is just the most dominant player eye test wise I have ever seen and he used to have his own problems where a bit like Nico did at Karavitsa here sometimes you know he'd make the playoffs he'd have the, an off game in the big match or whatever that almost never happens now that's one of the reasons why actually i agree, agree with what rich alluded to i visibly just saw he was way worse in that semi-final match he just he would just miss simple shots that like normally this guy hits the craziest flicks he would have been missing easy flicks so to me he was off his game whereas normally that almost never happens so if you have absolutely the best player in the past lands at least the firepower even beyond him was really strong in the team and then i also personally think blade their coach is one of the best coaches in the world so even though i actually think in-game leading wise that's maybe their weakness in the team i think they have so much strength elsewhere in the team overall i think they're just the one i would pick to to go first the other teams i think they've just got like too much to prove still like the other like i actually think if i was a g2 fan i wouldn't be worried at all by losing this tournament like not only could you have won it that was a 3-0 where you got 3-0 yourself but you were so close to winning 3-0 in your own end so if i was a g2 fan by the way they're a very strong contender to be the best team as well like look at them the monacy guy already looked pretty good yes not superstar level but he showed some form on stage hunt Nico, at least until the playoffs, was mega. Hunter actually had a fabulous run through the playoffs and was really good in the finals. And then Alexi B looks like he's doing a decent job for a brand new team. So I would say Na'Vi's the big pick, but if I don't take Na'Vi, I'll actually take G2 to be an next team. I, I want to pick up something you said, which is completely off topic here, but I find it quite interesting. You said Blade is one of the best coaches out there. I don't want to know why you think that, but how? Because the coaches are just so hard to, to gauge, sure. right? Like, like it's almost pure intangibles. Why are you so confident to say that he is, or, or you know, wh what have you seen about him, or, or do you have some kind of like other other knowledge? Like why why is he why is he a guy? Yeah, there's two angles. One, I actually have, not only have I done a video, it's on my channel, it's called Strapbook, where I do a show where I bring like coaches and in-game leaders and I sort of grill them and ask about like their careers and their philosophy on like, essentially tactics and coaching and all that sort of stuff. You can get a bit of insight into them. And I thought he came off very well in that episode. So technically, I like like with certain people in the scene, I can I can talk to them privately and sort of grill them and see what they, where they're at and you know if they know what they're talking about. But I would also say for coaching, I'd, I should probably make a video on this sometime. I think there actually are certain key areas in, it, in the game where it's almost like 
you can't know that the coach did it, but you can sort of infer he probably did something. So a classic area for me is if the team doesn't have a natural leader, like they don't have like a great in-game leader in Counter-Strike or some like legendary, they don't have like Mithy or fucking Yellow Staff, it's League of Legends, some person who always wins and is sort of thought of as a captain. If they don't have one of those figures, but you bring in rookies and they seem to like get, like go from nothing to really good, that usually to me is a sign of good coaching. And so if you look at the Na'Vi squad, not they, what people don't seem to realise is because of the narrative storyline, they remember that it was Bit becoming amazing on LAN at the end of last year that made Na'Vi go to number one. But what they forget is quietly before even that actually the player perfecto who also has only been in the team a couple of years he also like got his game together got his identity set so if you bring in rookies people who weren't even supposed to be in your team effectively people would have said why are you signing this player like is this a cynical move like do you not want to get the next best talent in our reach if you bring those players in and they not only develop but they actually become basically the best possible player you could have got for that position that at least tells me at a minimum the coach is a really good scout and i would suggest in this case he probably did some good work behind the scenes Alright, I always find that quite an interesting topic. People, uh, yeah, oh, best. I agree on that. You can't really know, can you? Sure, 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 sure. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it's cool. It's interesting. But anyway, anyway. I'll tell you the punchline. Here's the punchline, Foxdrop. Okay. Think about the context of last year when I published a video in the summer. Notice the key facts I'm hitting. Last year, in mm. the summer, I published a video exposing that maybe Jack was a naughty boy as the coach of Team Liquid. Here's where I dodged a bullet, mate. I was genuinely thinking after the spring split of making a video that would say that Jack was the best coach in the LCS. <laughs> Tell you what, glad, glad, I, glad I was too lazy to make that one. <laughs> that might have come back to bite me. That might have come back to bite me. <laughs> That's right. No one knew that you were going to do that until this moment. So you've out yourself. So the joke is like, imagine I made that video at the end of the spring because surely then like my mates in Team Liquid would just be like, why... Why are you putting that out without asking me? He's a fucking dickhead. Like, yeah, yeah, no, you can't win on that one. You can't win. <laughs> All right, we're gonna let's move on from coaches here. That was a complete tangent. Um, we were, I mentioned in the, talking about who might be the most dominant team in this in this year. There's a, there's an asterisk, and that asterisk obviously with current events with the situation happening uh, in, in in Ukraine involving Russia, a lot of things. Uh, are unfolding even just like even right now like it's, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen with this year for example with, with things like sanctions and uh, the limitation of russian competitors in international events i, I know it's happening in the standard sports like hockey is, has dropped belarus and russia from the from the world juniors and the ihf uh, and blast to uh, as a tournament organization organizer in in csgo have said they're doing the same thing so no russian team is going to be allowed in any blast events for the foreseeable future they have said that does not extend to russian players just the russian organization so teams like gambit virtus virtus pro cannot compete in blast tournaments for the foreseeable future however if the rosters dissolved and they went the exact same roster went and played on a different team that will be fine just not the organizations uh, but as you mentioned as well thorin which is a really good point like we don't even know if like the russian players logistically will be able to attend different yes. events and stuff like that even if they're allowed to you know um it's it's a crazy situation and obviously far from from ideal as far as uh, you know just like the competitive scene for csgo i just want to get your thoughts on what's going to happen because uh, as a as an esport, you know the CIS region is 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 huge for CS:GO in comparison to the rest of Europe as well. Um, if this is a big blow for CS:GO, what, what's your what's your thoughts? 
Oh, it's brutal because basically last year was like the real rise of CIS CSGO because what happened was they always used to have like one really great team. It would often be Navi teams in the past when they had Guard, you know, where they have Simple now. Sometimes they'd have like a second team that was like pretty good, say like top 10 or like border. If people don't know, last year there were times legitimately where four teams from the CIS region would be in the top 10. And as a result, there was actually periods where you could have argued for the first time in the history of CSGO, is CIS the best region, not Europe? Like mainland Europe obviously would be the winner of that every single time. Now, here's the thing. It wouldn't have worked beyond like the top teams. Obviously, if you were like 20 teams deep, Europe just wins that one automatically. But the fact that at the top end, you could really have that debate in the top 10 says a lot. And then this year, this is the killer. This year was going to be even better based on initial projections because you had Na'Vi, the number one team. Gambit's still a strong team and we're all hoping they sort of gain experience and get better and better on LAN. Virtus Pro already did their roster move at the last major and look really dangerous. And then beyond that, you actually have a whole bunch of other teams people don't know, like like Forza's half decent. There's a whole, like, the talent in that region is really strong. It's really impressive. Uh, and Tropic obviously had a decent run at the major. So I think most people actually were looking this year for loads of the storylines coming out of the CIS teams. They're just some of the best teams we have in the game. So the problem I have with this overall approach is... Like, I don't think this works on any level. Like, first of all, it's just confusing if you're a fan. Because as you say, they didn't even say they banned Russians. They banned Russian-based organizations. So if you look into it, right, for example, a lot of fans immediately, their first thought was like, oh my God, so Navi can't play because they don't know, for example, Navi's from the Ukraine and not from Russia. A lot of people... By the way, spoiler, until last week, a lot of people didn't really know what's the difference, like what's what's the region, like what's the history of that region. Of course, no one, it's not, it's not an area that we're all super informed on in the West. Then secondly, there's the whole issue that like it does seem confusing if you're a fan. So it's like, so you're banning Russians in some way. But so, for example, Navi, if you don't know, three of their players are Russian, but their players, if they can travel, presumably will be allowed to play in Blast in ESL. Whereas, for example, Virtus Pro is a Russian organization but actually only features one Russian player, Jim. Three of them are from Kazakhstan. That is no relation to this conflict. And fucking Yakinda's from Latvia. That has nothing to do with this. Like, it's totally unrelated. So what's bizarre is three Kazakhstanis and Latvian won't be playing in these tournaments, but then three Russians will be for Navi. So that already seems a bit like, so what are we doing here? So basically the premise, remember, we have to ask, what is the intention, not how it executes? The intention I get, right, which is it's a sanction. What we're trying to do is we're trying to put pressure on Russia as a country by taking every every form of business based in Russia and saying we won't let you essentially compete in like a global marketplace. You can't be a part of this. But the premise, the mechanism, how that's supposed to work is where, in my opinion, this breaks down badly. And it just becomes, even though they're thinking it's a PR win because at the moment a lot of people feel powerless and want sort of Russians in some way to pay for whatever's going on. I actually think it's going to be, go the other way. And it, it, it's actually a PR loss if you know the industry. Because think about it. CSGO particularly of all the big esports games is infamous for the fact that you just drain money out of your fucking org. You just lose money constantly. I mean, so the joke is like, I'm going to put sanctions on you by not letting you lose money in this game anymore. Oh shit, I will fight that. Like, no, like it, first of all, you know, you're almost not going to give a fuck. And then secondly, in what universe, like here's the difference. If you can't compete in ice hockey at the World Championship as Russia, spoiler, Russia's one of the best countries in ice hockey, that's a big deal. That means in history, you're not going to get those gold medals. You're not going to have the same exposure. You're, remember, part of sports as well as a proxy for what? It's a way of showing off how cool your country is and how much resources you have and sort of the character of the people. Nobody is going to... You, do you, does anyone really imagine some guys coming into Putin's office going, sir, sir, you're not going to believe it. They've closed down Gambit and Virtus Pro from competing in the blast. He's not going to... He'd clap them out the fucking 
fucking room that wouldn't for one second put real pressure on the org or the country, would it? So, unfortunately, I don't actually think beyond as a PR exercise, which in the short term, like I say, I think gives them a bit of a win for like Ukrainian people, for example, who think, oh, someone's doing something. Beyond that, I don't really see an upside to this. And then the final detail is this. I will say there's a complicated part to this, which unfortunately is a product of Blast being intentionally vague with how they communicated that particular post because they just made it sound like it was like due to the conflict you know like these teams we won't be inviting them to compete it's like the phrasing was very like not straight and blunt and my problem is this I personally suspect, one, they already knew these players probably can't attend the events anymore and might even logistically not be able to attend. So essentially, there's no trouble there. We can just get a free win by seeming like, well, we ban you anyway. You can't come. And then secondly, and this is the really cynical part to me, they won't admit it publicly, but it has been a rumour behind the scenes in the industry in CSGO that teams like... Uh, Virtus Pro, Gambit, if they were actually at this level, Forza, some of these teams if you ever go and look at the sponsors or the ownerships it is maybe implied that like maybe they have like an oil sponsor that's connected to the government, because spoiler, I imagine in that region a lot of companies are connected in a more direct, less abstract way than the West similarly, maybe the teams on some level themselves even actually have some sort of like oligarch relationship, if people don't know Virtus Pro is owned by ES Force and famously that's owned by an oligarch I think from Uzbekistan, he's not actually from uh, Russia, I believe he's from Uzbekistan, so the point is there are these connections in some sense but my issue there is like first of all if those are the reasons why just be honest just say these teams unlike navi for example maybe because navi's obviously they've actually sort of like ejected es force many in relation to them if you said in the thing the reason what we're doing is this we're trying to put economic pressure on the oligarchs in russia they have like some sort of connection ownership over these teams so that therefore we're banning these teams for that reason i think that would not only be honest but it would also be fair in some sense like i don't understand what you're doing instead i think they're trying to like get all the upside of all these scenarios without sort of being honest about why they're doing it and i think there's a bit of fuckery personally and i also don't entirely know that i'm that comfortable with like even the idea of the latter part like have you actually done a full investigation of these orgs have you actually run everything down? do you really know like it seems like these are big moves to take unless you have everything squared away personally Almost like it's not really something a tournament organization or organizer. Seems a bit off, doesn't it? Like, yeah. what were we doing this for? You know. What about you, Rich? What were your thoughts on the situation? I mean, first of all, I want to know how Thorin knows along similar lines that Putin doesn't sleep with Virtus Pro bedsheets because, you know, maybe he's their <laughs> biggest fan. Maybe they're actually so well informed that this is actually hitting way deeper than any of us could imagine. But no, I mean, yeah, I. I, I echo all of that i think the big and i was yeah gonna say like i think one of my biggest issues with this was exactly that the messaging the messaging was so stupid and trying to like cast such a wide net that you could reap all of the fucking fish at the same time whereas in my opinion you just look like idiots and this is terrible messaging and there was some either some suggestions of people coming out saying actually the process of the cis region qualifier specifically was outsourced to another company who literally yes. can't do it anyway so they're just yes. basically trying to bandwagon on that and and claim all of the credit for something that physically wasn't even possible anyway. Again, I don't know that that's 100% correct, but that is something that has been uh, suggested. That seems plausible. Basically, what Richard suggested is the people we play who themselves had, who are based in Kiev and they had to just stop running their tournament recently. I think it was said that they were the partner that was going to run the qualifier for this region anyway. Yeah. So the premise is, it's like if they told you, well, obviously we can't run the qualifier. And you were like, I have decided there will be no qualifier for this very <laughs> virtuous reason. And it's like, you didn't have one anyway, did you? Yeah, but yeah, and when when it because yeah, if, as you said, if they just come out and say basically the reason we're doing this is because 
we believe that like ES Force for for people that don't know and you know conflict of interest in esports, they had an ownership stake in both Virtus Pro. They had some kind of a stake in Navi, and they have a stake in Gambit all at the same time. Um, and they are owned by a parent company, ES Force, that is run or, you know, has a by a Russian oligarch basically called Usmanov, who does have ties to the Kremlin. So, but even that, like, I have to go like three levels deep to get the direct connection. And then I'm presuming that Blast. I don't, have the, a, put it way, I doubt the Usmanov guy even knows how yeah, exactly. doing in CSGO. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have a fucking clue. And I doubt, I ask, and similarly, I doubt that Blast have a fucking clue as to how tight those ties actually are. They probably yes. just read some NSBC article which explains that he went to a dinner once with Putin and they've decided that, you know. So I thought the messaging was like my biggest issue with the whole thing. If you had come out with a message that was similar to what sort of Thorin lined at, uh, outlined, then I actually think it's not necessarily that it plays well or badly, but it's very transparent and I don't think people would have been all over them like, what's going on? And most importantly, people wouldn't have been confused as fuck. Again, yes. most people read the initial thing and thought, I will not get to watch Simple in a Major this year. Yeah, like, absolutely. Just ridiculously bad messaging. And then coming out and having random people who may or may not work for you, like doing clarifying tweets on Twitter. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how could you not draft this up in a more competent manner? So yeah, I think it's a bit ridiculous. And obviously in the sort of the more overarching point, which is how this all going to play out and how it will affect these players and so on and the people saying stuff like <laughs> just leave the org and you can play like oh. <laughs> come on man like it's she's ridiculous <laughs> uh, yeah, absurd but yeah in terms of them these people not actually being able to play or not obviously that's like the big uh tragedy here and i would say in terms of how much sense does it make this is not the same as fifa coming out and banning russia from being able to take part in like the world cup qualifiers or whatever it's, like, it's just not the same because that is a global event with hundred, literally hundreds of years of history and precedence and it actually immediately resonates with every single person in russia including all the oligarchs putin and everyone else they're basically being if you're fifa and you attack people over the football world cup you are attacking russia on a global Absolutely. scale in a uh, CSGO majors, as big as we may look like to think our scene is, our scene ain't shit. Our scene is not mainstream at all by any sort of measurable uh, means, especially not a subcategory of our scene like CSGO. So the fact that the idea that we're like sticking it to the, me the, the man at the fucking in Moscow, like it's just stupid and all you're really doing who are the biggest victims here and i think when you're judging something like this you really have to look at the biggest yes. victims and it is the players themselves who haven't done anything Absolutely. wrong unless one of them has come out and like fully endorsed uh what's going on in the ukraine or it's something so, a single player has of course the actual yeah. players we're talking about yeah. of course not and and i just don't think i just don't think it's justified on that level in the same way that you know to take this to the reducto ad absurdum if i had a local bowls tournament and there were some people who had like historically been members of certain political parties or something and I didn't like them. Like, I'm not going to stick it to the Conservative Party by banning Jonathan Brown from attending a bowls tournament, right? Obviously a stupid example, but CSGO is very small and it's not on their radar. So why are we punishing people and creating victims out of a situation where it's completely needless and there's no upside? It is a really a sticky situation as well. And I wonder whether or not it's just like a grab to try and, you know... Like, it reminds me of, of you know, when, when social media accounts for organizations will change their picture um, in response to a certain, like, global tragedy or something. They're like still that. doing that, mate. That's They're all doing it. They're all yellow and, yellow and blue. Right, but this is it. It's like, but you really have, like, you know, they, 
they only do that once it's calculated that that is the public opinion yes. to, to to do right and it's the same for like the lgbtq stuff and you know it, i remember seeing like um i think it was bethesda who they have all their different accounts like bethesda europe bethesda asia bethesda na or whatever and like there's like six different accounts and five of them all have like the bethesda logo with the rainbow flag and it's like bethesda saudi arabia <laughs> Justin's standard logo no lgbtq signaling at all and it's like surely if this came from the company you know if this was a company ethics thing they're all you know you're not making exceptions mate right? i'm waiting it's, for tsm dunk to accidentally tweet a russian flag it's it's gonna happen <laughs> just just watch that space yeah, there's even like a sinister aspect to that which is one of the reasons i've always personally said i think it's inappropriate for companies to do what you're talking about here is those are actions that humans undertake like a human undertakes an action putting a flag on to show that i this individual have solidarity with this cause right the reason that doesn't work for companies is as you just illustrated there if for example we a company that operates in America. In America, we pretend to have this value here, but then we don't want to upset our Middle Eastern partners, so of course we would never do that. Well, that shows that essentially it's fraudulent when you did it in America. Because remember, I always say this, nobody's stopping any employee. Like, the whole employees could on their individual account do it. CEO could do it, the COO, down to the guy in the mailroom. They could all choose on their personal social media account to do whatever they want for political causes. So instead, yeah, it does just look a little bit overly cynical to me when you do it like this. Like, I don't really buy that, like, you really believe that shit and unfortunately in this particular case i even think it's dumb because as a company blast were the ones who if people don't know if people from league might think it was only lec that did this you know the story where lec was going to partner with neom but then it didn't happen because the talent of oh, you should know it's obviously all went to war and then it just didn't it got cancelled like a day or two later right right after that blast themselves in csgo were going to do a partnership with neom and theirs was going to be even more extreme because theirs wasn't just to be like sponsored they were actually going to in some capacity go to that fucking neom city place and be in some weird way involved in developing it which is really sinister when you imply when it was implied that they're sort of like killing nomads to make room for that area so that was even more sinister because it was like so you're actually gonna be like involved with this, the thing that people would be outraged by but if people don't know the idea that company literally like a year and a half later is now the moral virtue signaler and in this particular case by the way when you are just a piece of shit company that cares about money and market share this is even killing your fucking business because even though it actually turned out today esl effectively mirrored it and did the same thing if you didn't know that by the way if esl hadn't done that you would be the biggest idiot of all time that at your event you're going oh well i have two of the best teams in the world at my event but my competitor can have it and then secondly you've also killed the product because as rich says the only people who really suffer from this realistically is people who liked watching those really good teams play and the players of those teams themselves because yes there is a world by the way where maybe like your kinder and some of the ones that aren't trapped in rut maybe some of them can go to other teams that makes their career worse they're desperate they're gonna have to go now and take whatever deals available the person signing you knows you over a barrel like this doesn't this doesn't actually work for anyone unfortunately that's why i say i know what the intention was and the intention we could have a totally separate abstract debate about whether you should do sanction on that's a totally separate thing but like i'm not a fan in general and the little i do know about sanctions unfortunately from past world events it does always seem to be the fucking guy who's just the who are penniless anyway who suffers the most not really the oligarch guy at the top that we think we're getting to you know 
And then also, by the way, this is why it doesn't work to take social concepts and put them on esports. Maybe if you really do economic sanctions that affect all elements of the Russian economy, maybe that does make people motivated to do something. But again, I'll just spin it this way. Does anyone really imagine that all the, the native people of Russia are going, Furtis Pro isn't even playing in Blast Premier Showdown? Rise up! Like, nobody nobody even uh, thinks that's plausible. It's a ridiculous premise, isn't it? By the way, if that did happen, then world politics is a clown show, isn't it? Like, what's the point? What's if that's all it takes to change the world fortunes? Just ban two fucking CS teams. This is almost like some clown show. It's like a Black Mirror episode. So what are you talking about? Why are we banning CS teams? What are you talking about? Though? Just imagining the babushkas <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the way outside. It's like, what? I don't know exactly. They've done what? That's enough. So, so everything else they did, I was with. But you mean they banned Jim from playing fucking blast? <laughs> I know exactly. It's just like you can't believe it, can you? <laughs> oh, Latvian ally. No. <laughs> oh dear me. Well, that, that was meant to be quite a serious topic, but either way, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I don't really have anything to say. You guys have said it perfectly well. Like it's, it's also very complicated. And, and one thing I do want to put, like, as like a kind of footnote on all of this as well is when you talk about well, the important things here are the victims and it's it's or who really is like the victim and it, it's not really sticking it to the i don't i don't ne necessarily see how that it achieves what glass maybe think they're achieving or try to show that they're achieving um and it is the viewers and it's the players and i am just i think it's also a bit of a slippery slope where I don't want the, I don't want there to be a situation where the players are the ones kind of under fire because it's already happening in other sports, rightly or wrongly. Like a like the the, the top, um, there's a there's a, you mentioned uh, ice hockey as well, Rich. How uh, Rich Thorne, how how um you know Russia's really bloody good at ice hockey. They are they're one of the best nations and one of the best players currently playing right now, a guy called Ovechkin. He's he's got ties to Putin because he's a huge fucking athletic star uh from russia and everyone you know if, if you're in you're in the circle right it's friends uh, with all the big superstars habib and all those guys yeah he's, he's, exactly he does is encircle himself with those guys and, yeah. this, and that's the thing is at this point as well is like if if the, i i truly believe you know like if you're living in russia like you're, you're probably being fed information like this is a good thing to do right like, of course. like, like yes. very, you're getting a very different narrative to what we're getting over here in the west uh, and even if you are clued in on what's happening, the consequences for you speaking out against it are also severe. Yes. So it's like, I, it, it's, it's really a rock and a hard place if you're the little guy, in, if you're Russian, basically, in this situation. And, and it's just like, I do, I don't want to say like, actions like this are going are gonna to turn communities against like, Russian members within their own communities. I just, I just think you've got to be careful. You know, you've got to be careful about it. If, if you're painting this broad stroke of Russia bad, then, you know, I mean, we've already seen it. We've seen LEC players are getting like DMs on their social media, like, why aren't you speaking out against this? Why do you agree with this? Your country, you're, you're this, you're that. It's just like, you know, I, 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 just so, think, I think it's a great point. Like you're basically piling pain on pain already. It's like all these people are getting absolutely butt fucked, and then you're just throwing these needless sanctions. And also, it's like how self-important a blast 
to feel that they have the sort of moral carte blanche to do this to these guys. As you said, people getting harassed. People even when they say, like, what are you doing? Like, he hasn't said he's pro-Russian and getting replies like, yes, but he hasn't specifically denounced it. Yeah. So fuck him. Like, the you have to remember how stupid or... I should rephrase that, how young as well and impressionable the community that, uh, you know, we, we all partake in is. And stuff like this is not helpful. If you read that blast thing with no context, you would be forgiven from leaving that thinking, oh, are these people somehow all complicit? Because, I mean, they've been banned from competing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they must be at least tacitly endorsing something, which, of course, isn't true. So I actually, I actually think that's a great point, Foxdrop. Like, they are just basically piling pain on pain victims who are already victims like ridiculous yeah, yeah definitely something which you've got to be careful of and I'm, I'm curious to see how it's all going to develop as well like it's 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 such a hot topic it's it's changing like daily honestly so we'll see how that goes and i really hope that you know it's it the players don't suffer too much because like you say the real victims here definitely isn't i don't really think there's a big guy that's being targeted here it always always ends up with a little guy and that's how i see it either way let's move on from that are we uh We've got our Who Wins segment here. We are our bet between Rich and Thorin. This is a bit more lighthearted, so a bit of a shift in tone here. Now, last week was the bet between, I believe it was FaZe and G2, was it? Or Gambit. Gambit, like, Gambit, sorry. Yeah, Gambit, that's the one. Um, but because there was a standing with FaZe, it was ruled null and void because we didn't have that information at the time, and it, wouldn't have, it would have been unfair to... Thorin, who picked FaZe, but of course FaZe was a bit, a bit unlucky there, Thorin. Either way, we're doing a redo for this last one here, just to keep things fair. Uh, and just as a reminder as well, whoever wins this one will inflict the forfeit upon the other guy. Uh, you know, if, if, if Rich gets his bit, bet right, then Thorin's going to have to <laughs> say he's not allowed to block anyone on Twitter or something like that. I thought about if... changing it, by the way, but I did a Twitter poll and apparently no one wants Thorin to be able to block people. So <laughs> I've got to do what the people want. All right, a man of the people. And uh, we'll see. Hopefully this all works well and we don't have to do a redo this time around. But we're heading back to the LEC for this one for our last uh, a, a sudden death round, basically, of who wins. It's XL versus G2. Who wins this game uh, between between XL and G2? XL obviously are, are kind of surging upwards a little bit here. They're looking like they might make the playoffs for the first time in, in the organization's history, which would be very exciting. Mickey X versus his old team as well, who kind of has been a bit of a pilot of the, the XL success bus. Uh, and G2 looking kind of shaky, not always... Um, yeah, not 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 unbeatable by any means. So, whereas when a, a bet between XL and G two may have sounded crazy in the past historically for LEC, uh, I don't think so right now. I think this one could be kind of close. So, who are you guys taking? I'm going to start with you, Rich. Who's going to win between XL and G two? And tell me why. So yeah, if you look at the standings, I mean they're next to each other, right? G two has one more win, but I don't really think that means much. I do really, and you know, it's a cliched as hell but i do really feel like in the top half of the table at least basically every team can be every team especially in a bo1 the reason why i'm going for xl over g2 is and you know if i had to look forward projecting the levels of success these teams will have in the bo5s i'd probably side a bit with g2 over xl um but i feel like this specific game is more important for XL. I think psychologically it's huge, which could obviously work against me in this pick, right? Like, if they're thinking, oh my god, we're on the brink, we only need to win one of our next three games and we're guaranteed to be in play. Like, that could work against them. But I think, similarly, 
on the reverse side for G2, I think these guys are mainly seasoned pros who've seen it, done it. They're probably not, they know they can't get top two. So they're not going to be like massively concerned about seeding beyond that point. They know that's somewhat out of their hands already now. And they're basically locked, aren't they? So they're, I just don't think they're going to take this game overly seriously. Whereas I feel it means a lot more for Excel. So it's not really about an ability difference thing. As I said, if it was these two were playing in a best of five this weekend, who would I pick? probably g2 yeah but i just think that this game means so much more to excel and if they win it this specific game i do believe that locks them i'm pretty sure that does lock them so i think so that yes. would obviously you know there's way way more of a big deal for them than it would be if g2 just wins another bo1 regular season game the more on the line you'd argue for excel and that's why you think they're going to take the edge I, I guess that means you're taking g2 thorin tell me why yes like, first of all, I'll go on a similar psychological angle to Rich. I actually think the fact that G2 isn't playing for anything also means you can sort of turn up and just fucking play free with no pressure. And sometimes that means you have, like, the best game of the split because in the same way as you could, I agree, you could obviously turn up and just phone it in and just, who gives a fuck? But there's also a world where you turn up, things just go well, everything's nice, someone pops off, you have a sick game, you all laugh because it doesn't fucking matter and then you go on the next game. So I think the thing is, I do think the teams are very, very close. I think it's appropriate they're next to each other in the stand-ins. I even think from what I've seen the split thus far i could maybe even argue xl's had a higher ceiling than g2 because the problem with g2 is i felt like they've been like a generally good team but i haven't seen many games where they looked like they smashed the opponent or people popped off like a motherfucker beyond like targamas i don't think people even pop off that hard in g2 really it's more like broken blades consistently good and then caps is like pretty good sort of but he's not caps so the thing is in this particular matchup though i'm going like old school i'm going to go player for player so the problem i have is this i think finn is a mega fragile player over on the side of xl so i trust my boy Otto Amne a lot more than him like i think finn as you saw look if he can do that one-off cled pick yeah he's all right on that but like he becomes a lot worse when he's on the meta champions and then the other thing is you, this. you've done a rich haven't you you've done a rich yeah, you said you meant broken blade, but that's it. You just said you said Oduwamri instead of broken blade, but I'm assuming. Oh, sorry. Yes, I meant broken blade is the player yeah, on G2. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah uh, broken blade is a way better top player than Finn. Uh, yeah, I hope that goes without saying. So he will absolutely win that lane and do do a better job there. So then when I look at the other players, look as much as I haven't been that in on caps, I actually think look, Nuklook hasn't been bad. I'm not going to jump on that train, but he hasn't been the player he was last split. He's just had like a pretty decent split, and he's got is mainly probably funny enough. He's gone back in that stereotype. It's more about his champion pool and doing weird meta picks, isn't it? Like. Like, it's not really about just play the three main champions and smash on it. So I think the Caps is better. Like the bot lane, look, I do think the bot lane is better on XL individually at least. So I just think as a team, G2 slightly better. And the key thing is XL's too up and down for me. So in the best of one, like in a playoff series, I might even go the other way and say I'd favour them over G2. But in this best of one, actually, I think I'm going to take G2. I think they're the more consistent squad for me. So I'll say they win this game. That's kind of funny how you've both picked... One way for the best of one, but if it was like a best of five or something, you actually both of you would flip flop. I find that really interesting. I wonder whether your perception of G two about how they haven't necessarily been that special is because they're G two. We have certain expectations. I expect more. Yeah, exactly. Right. And if it was like if this was I don't know, if this was like Astralis or something like that, you know, and they were playing in the similar vein and, and, and having similar results and whatnot, whether whether that would sure. change your change your perspective maybe somewhat and you because they're exceeding your expectations at that point and you maybe see more of them for what they are. I'm going to actually make a prediction about how they're going to win the game as well. I reckon, because I, I do actually buy a little bit into what Thorin said about because it's not as important, that may somewhat affect the way they play. But how I think they're going to... I think Caps is just going to 
in. I think he's just going to in into good old reliable Mr. Nuke Duck, who's just going to sit there casually farming. I think Caps is going to do, you know, a, a phone-in play, basically, because what does it fucking matter? And it's Caps, isn't it? And he's not having his best split. And I think uh, Mr. Nuke Duck's going to gobble it up. His jungler's probably going to be there for the counterplay, and they're going to win off that. So, yeah. But, okay. similarly, in a best-of series, to contrast that, I would trust Caps way more in a BO5 than Nuke Duck to be like a, a win condition, essentially. But I just think Nuke Duck does the same thing every time he plays. And to, uh, so far as these things go, I've historically been a little bit of a Nuke Duck hater, I guess, or at least I've always played down his career overall and thought he's, if you've never been even considered, in my opinion, like a top two, top three player in your role, other than that one time in fucking Lemon Dogs or whatever, then I don't think you should be thought of as highly as you are. I actually think he's quietly had a pretty decent split, actually. I think he's been, I, I think you could argue, in my opinion, that he's in had any a... Context. Yeah, I, I think you could argue that he's had a similar level of uh, split to Caps. And I just think, again, yeah. because because this uh, game is much more important to Excel and because of Caps' playstyle and the fact that they will be playing with very little pressure on them, I'm, I'm going to say they win because of because of the duck. Day of the duck, we'll call it. Day of the duck. Yeah. Caps is going to run it down. To be fair, that's never a bad bet to make. You know, Caps, he's always flipping it one way or another. Uh yeah, all right. I'm. I'm. I, I was a bit surprised when I saw that this was was the uh, was the bet here because maybe maybe it's just not <laughs> Excel versus G two. Surely not. Historically, these names are very separate in their levels of success in the LEC. But fair point, honestly, with the way things are going, and uh, definitely means a lot for Excel. As you said, if they win this game, they're going to lock in the playoffs. So the first time in their organization's history, it'll be a big game. And obviously, I don't know which who it means more for Excel or you guys because you're gonna to have to do the forfeit i mean it's worth saying this is like i i think this is like a watershed maybe not this bo1 specifically but i feel like this week basically and what precedes it is basically a watershed moment for the organization and in particular young buck like i think mm. the magnitude of like what it means in terms of contextualizing career achievement and so on is actually massive whereas again for g2 it is kind of just another season but with you know slightly less expectations yeah. so yeah, and I think one one team is more like, eh, fuck it, we'll get to playoffs. And the other team's more like, holy fuck, we're going to get to playoffs. So that might change things as well. Either way, Rich is for XL, Thorin is for G2. We'll see how that one unfolds and uh, we'll get the forfeit going next time around. Anything else you two want to leave us with before we wrap up the show? Anything you want to put a cap on or just some topics you want to rehash here? Well, I just wish that TSM would stop capping. There you go. I'm done with the kids now and everything. Nuke took and all, all the fucking and all the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying with them caps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I intentionally pretended I don't know what that means at the end. I, I know what it means. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. He's 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 one funky dude. That that Thorin guy. That's what I that's what I've heard. Rich, are you as as funky as as Thorin? Well, as we well, I'm not quite as down with the kids as Thorin. But what I will say is, you know, if Reggie's listening, I'm pretty sure out of just the available free agents that still exist, you don't need to be debating your ex girlfriend online about who was right. Maybe just go out and sign some of these fucking players because they're still pretty good. And guess what? Oh. No one else has signed them. So if you want to salvage the season rather than quadrupling down on your shit idea then you know it's there i won't even send an invoice for that advice mate because you could probably find that one on reddit and you know that tsm is really in a shit situation when basically unironically this time around the reddit armchair analysts would actually have done a better job than what they've done with their roster hey man shit happens i'm so glad you brought up the uh 
the kick to the nads as if Tearson's not struggling enough. You brought up the ex-girlfriend point, how he's having to argue with her as well. I'm sure he's like, he's having a great time over there in his chair, good old Reggie. Yeah, you still got her number, mate, so you know how to reach double lift. <laughs> Fuck's sake. All right, I'm, anything else before her save us from this torment? Or maybe save double lift from this torment, I suppose. Bless him. Nah, don't save him. Just let him suffer. Let him suffer, does make for entertainment, I suppose. That's what else it's all about. Sign fucking players to the entertainment factor. And also the joke is, in, in some sense, I almost don't want Double F to go to TSM because then I'll have to listen to the fucking LCS commentators one or so. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'll listen to Dom. <laughs> double double slam there. You thought I was taking it back and I didn't. I no, you again. did take it back. <laughs> all right. Well, that bombshell. Thank you so much for watching this week's episode of Slice Sec. We'll see you next time.